Hi, this is Blaine Bartlett, and I'd like to welcome you to the Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett. Um, today's guest is, uh, I think, very timely, just given what is on the uh, the medical horizon as well as well as the societal horizon uh, today, both from the perspective of business, but also more importantly, I think, from a, just a very personal perspective. Um, Bijan. Um, Barangi is the uh, CEO and founder of an organization called SAMI, S-A-M-I uh, hyphen aid. Um, and his background is in pharma, uh, but it's more eclectic than that. He's actually started a number of different medical um, uh, companies. And one of them is a medical imaging center, as well as a novel cancer treatment program that he's running. Um, I've got him on the show here today so we can begin to talk about, you know, in the context of the soul of business, what do we do here, you know, as a business, you know, when things are so up in the air and health is such a big issue for people, both in the workplace, but also just as they navigate their lives uh, today. So, um, Bijan, I want to I welcome you and I want to thank you for taking the time to join me today. Well, thanks, Blaine. Appreciate it. Looking forward to having a conversation. Well, good. Did I misstate anything in my introduction here? We're, and we'll get into more about your background as we go along here, but uh, any, anything that you want to... Um, this is my Rachel Maddow's uh, <laughs> course correction <laughs> question. <laughs> no, no, I think you've got it spot on. Um, you know, basically, I started my career in corporate, uh, you know, consulting with Booz Allen. Um, and then after that, you know, trying to do the, the typical corporate route. Uh, but at some point, I think, uh, at least for me, I wanted to do something a little bit more entrepreneurial. And not only that, but was kind of more to uh, my particular soul and my, my vision of how business should be, um, you know, benefiting the people that I work with. So I made a little bit of a U-turn about 20 years ago and started getting into my own, my own space with medicine. And fortunately, here we are today. Great. Well, you know, let's talk a little bit about that journey because, you know, just in some of our you know, preliminary conversation before we started recording here, um, you know, I was struck by the way that you describe what you do as being important to society. And, and yes, money's a part of that. I can't do what I do from a business perspective unless I've got a, you know, a, a money base to work from. Um, but it's important to society. How does that come into play in terms of how you have found the businesses that you have founded to actually, if that makes sense, you know, what, you know, what was resonating there? You know, I mean, obviously, again, you know, you wanted to make some money as an entrepreneur, but there was something, you know, that drove what you did in a different way here that I think many typical entrepreneurs would work with. Well, the, I'll tell you the one founding mantra that I had was that if I were to fail, at least I could have helped a few people along the way. And so um, the big opportunity that I had coming out of um, corporate was I, I had a chance to get into the medical imaging area and with a technology called PET scans. Uh, PET mm -hmm. scanning, you know, basically focuses on two areas, cancer and Alzheimer's disease. And it was um, a platform that I thought that could, at least a diagnostic platform that could lead me into arenas of treatment and further care that, um, you know, that I wasn't able to explore any other way without having, you know, major funding or some kind of a long-term uh, research uh, capability. My whole thing was, look, can I find ways to bring effective diagnosis and treatments to these populations that's affordable and that doesn't have to require 
us waiting 10 or 15 or 20 years for there to be some type of movement within, you know, uh, research and then eventually getting through the FDA and stuff like that. So what could I do to immediately, immediately impact these people's lives? At first, it was basically diagnostic. I had the opportunity to open up a number of uh, medical imaging centers, uh, San Jose, San Francisco, Berkeley, and across the United States. Um, but it, it, was a, it allowed me to get into a field that I really enjoyed, like I said, neurological diseases as well as um, cancer. And so that was kind of the, the foundation. And of course, like I said, my belief from the get-go was the money that I invested, if I ended up falling flat on my face, at least there would have been a handful of people that would have benefited and lived longer because I made the effort. And so whatever money I did lose, at least I felt comfortable in the fact that somebody benefited from it. Fortunately, that didn't happen. We were um, successful in our endeavors to go ahead and, and um, bring more diagnosis to, to the arena and um, was really one of the early people in pushing the, um, the advancement of PET scanning as an absolute critical tool, not only for the early diagnosis and follow-up of cancer, but the early diagnosis and follow-up of, of Alzheimer's disease, which is still something that's, believe it or not, relatively controversial. But uh, um, it is something that we are, that have been fortunate to be a part of. And then not only that, but it's springboarded me into the opportunity to offer novel treatments in both those areas. Yeah, that, and I want to touch on, on that piece. Um, but before we get there, I, and, uh, it strikes me that what you have done here is redefined the value proposition of the business uh, in one sense. Uh, and, and I'm really struck by if I failed, at least somebody benefited. And right. for me, when I think about the soul of the business, that's, that's really where it speaks to it. And, and it's that organizi organizing principle around everything is connected. And if I'm not doing, I mean, if I had my brothers, um, this is me on a soapbox, but if I had my druthers, um, every business leader would take the equivalent of a Hippocratic oath, you mm -hmm. know, first do no harm. And using that as kind of a, a, a litmus filter, you know, for every activity that the business then engages in, are we doing things that are beneficial or are we doing things in the broadest sense of the word harmful? And that's where the soul of business, I think, really connects. So, this kind of leads me into the only question I ask on this show is um, when, and not the only question, but it's the only formal question. Uh, when you, when you hear the phrase, the soul of business, because for some folks it's almost an oxymoron. And when you hear the, the phrase, the soul of business, what does that evoke for you? What, what, what does that bring to mind? Well, it, it is kind of, you know, it's interesting that you and I are having this conversation because it is the defining mantra of my whole entrepreneurial life. I, I have focused primarily on medicine because it is something that was part of my background that I was kind of brought up in. Although my father was in the oil business, eventually I found more meaning in, you know, in, in the medical field. And so, um, but the definition of soul of business to me really is all about your intentions. And when you come into a, uh, a business area and you're the leader of a particular company, my, my whole thing is that I provide the vision for this particular company. What my role is, is to inspire the people that I hire. I want to hire really good people, inspire them with what we're doing, make sure that they feel that what we're doing is really important, not only to, you know, their paycheck, but to the fact that the people that were walking in our door every day are, are impacted, hopefully in a 
a significantly meaningful way by the work that we do. And as a result, it makes them, you know, feel much, much, much more um, proud of the work that they do. They are more engaged in the work that they do. They take more responsibility for the work that they do. And of course, at the end of the day, it, I, all I've got to do is when I bring good people on and inspire them that way, just get out of the way and let them do their thing. Um, everyone from my admin people to the salespeople that are involved to the techs that are hired into the company to um, the, the presidents and, and, um, and CFOs that I hire, I want everybody to feel like we're on not just you know um, an endeavor to make money, but we're on a mission. We're really on a mission, and what we're doing is very, very, very important. And I've been lucky enough to be part of um, a variety of different enterprises that reflect that, that same philosophy. Yeah, I, I love that, Bijan. Uh, it's, yeah, you know, and I'm sure you're familiar uh, with the Gallup survey that's done annually for the last you know, 25, 30 years, I guess, you know, looking at employee engagement. And uh, <laughs> historically, over that 20 plus years, it hasn't changed much at all. It, it consistently shows about 93% of the global workforce, and this is the global workforce, is disengaged in some fundamental way from their work uh, that they're conducting. And, yeah. you know, businesses throw about 43 billion, with a big B, $43 billion a year uh, on leadership development with the intent of shifting that number, moving the needle on that number. And, yeah, I've been, you know, in the field of consulting with leaders for 40 years. And the one thing that I have become very, very aware of is that almost always the leadership development programs are missing the mark because they don't speak to what you've just been talking about. How do we get people connected to meaning, to what's meaningful? And yeah, you, you, you inspire who you hire. Give me a little bit and give the audience that are, is listening right now a little bit of uh, a sense of how you go about making that happen. How do you inspire who you hire and connect them to, to meaning in, in what you're doing? Because you, you know, like you said, you've got admins, you've got uh, uh, your techs, you've got, you know, you've got people that are doing different things. So they come from different positions and they come from different mindsets. How do you get them to kind of you know, all pull together? in that sense. And that's what engagement does. You know, and uh, to me, you know, and I guess every, every business leader is different, but I believe that, you know, to be a successful enterprise, the, the leader of the company has to be egoless and it has to be about uh, the vision. It has to be about the message. And if you can communicate that, I think everybody buys into it from, from the bottom up that they feel empowered that no matter how, you know, what, no matter what their job is within an organization, they are very important because the end result of their activity is going to result in, the, um, in impacting somebody else's life in a significant way. With Obviously, with pet imaging, what we're doing here, I mean, it's a, a cancer diagnosis. If we don't get it right, the person's probably going to die or have a shorter life. Alzheimer's diagnosis, the same thing. Um, but all the enterprises that I'm involved in, we have a, a company now that we were doing called Sammy Aid with the intent of bringing telemedicine to the masses. We realized that there was nobody out there that had um, was offering in the United States really fundamental universal health care that was affordable and accessible. The easy solution was very simple. Let's provide a telemedicine solution for them so that if they're an Uber driver, if they're a DoorDash person, if they don't have insurance, which most a lot of people don't, and with COVID-19, even more people are falling off and not having that particular coverage. 
You need to get a COVID-19 test. All these accesses to medicine to me felt like they were exclusionary. The, the practice of medicine was not inclusive of most people in the United States. Even people who have insurance really don't know what their access points are and what their charges are gonna be. There's no transparency to medicine. So the idea was to bring affordable, accessible, transparent medicine to as many people as possible. Everybody in my organization listens to that message and they go, oh my God, yeah, we wanna be a part of that. that that's what we wanna be a part of. We wanna make these things that are available to a lot of people, available to everybody. And, you know, if we can communicate that particular message, you know, and we can show that we can deliver that, everybody buys it. Oh, no. Bijan, are you there? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there you are. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Lost, lost you for just a minute there. Did we? Oh, I'm sorry about that. No, no worries. So what I, was the I love you were talking about, you know, making this available to all people and, and how that's inspiring. You know, in, in the net economy, just being able to have medical access, medical care access uh, to Uber drivers, to the dash, you know, the dash deliverers. Um, you know, there's an egalitarian uh, leveling that kind of comes into play with this. Uh, I, I'm really intrigued with Sammy Aid because, you know, it's not the first uh, telemedicine uh, play that I've seen, but it seems to be one of the more successful ones. Uh, yeah. What are you doing there? Well, it, again, it's about the message. The idea was that most telemedicine is only available through a particular insurance carrier. We decided right. that we wanted to make telemedicine available to everybody. Just make it affordable, make it accessible. All you got to do is if you need somebody, want to talk to somebody, whether that be a nurse, a mental health care professional, or a doctor, just pick up the phone, make a phone call, talk to a doctor. If you've got a problem, they'll solve it for you. It's simple as that. It's the most fundamental um, issue ever. You know what the price is. You know what the call is. It's more, we, make, we, almost, we don't have any money at all because part of the, 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 um, the issue here is to give as many people access as possible. But I will tell you something that came out of that that was really fascinating. As we looked at this, as COVID-19 started to hit, everybody was like, oh my gosh, you guys are so well positioned because now a lot of people who don't have access to medicine are going to be calling. They're going to be curious. But through the process, we actually came up with something that was extraordinary. We came up with a plan that we presented to the state of California for almost no cost at all. We can tra trace, track, and treat COVID-19 better than anybody in the country. It was a, a unbelievable epiphany that we had. And the idea was, why don't we take the platform that we have? We're trying to tell the world, we're trying to at least tell the United States that we need to have a platform of accessible medicine to everybody. We don't have that. However, in the era of COVID-19, in the state of California, if we were to put together a free coronavirus hotline that was paid for by the state, let Californians call in almost immediately, within maybe three or four days, We'd identify every single hotspot person in the state of California. That's wow. the one thing nobody in the United States has been able to pick out and identify. How do you figure out where the COVID-19 positive people are and how do you get to them? Rather, what we're doing, which is blowing up the economy and going to drive inflation through the roof in the next couple of years, is testing everybody who's negative, which is stupid. 
Let's mm-hmm. just test the people who are positive and the ones that are around them. It's a fraction of the cost. It's 10 times, well, 10 times, a million times more effective. And we can, we can control COVID-19 within two weeks. It is wow, no, the most. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm telling you, Blaine, I'm telling you, when we propose this, this is probably the frustration of being an entrepreneur and a businessman, right? Because you bump up against politics. Oh. When the state of California and the United States, the federal government in general, opened up their pocketbooks with no direction and said, hey, everybody come and take as much money as you possibly can. So right now we've got this mandate to test everybody. Hey, look, I'm in the boat too. I've got, I've got, um, uh, we've got uh, RFQs out there to do testing for a large number of counties. Millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars we can make by testing. I've even pushed back on that and say, don't give me that. I have a plan where I can do it for a fraction of the cost and identify everybody right now. And guess what? The entire state of California benefits. Not only is it less costly, but now what's going to happen, we're going to put in place a methodology that even after COVID-19, regular Californians will have access to normal, regular medicine more cost effectively. If you need pediatric care, call the damn number. Talk to a doctor for 60 bucks and get your pediatric care and get your medication you need free from the state of California. It'll cost nothing for the population to support that, and it'll probably be the most compassionate thing we can do for everybody in the state. And relative to the cost of all the other things that we're doing, it's nothing. It's a drop in the bucket. It, for the, the impact of the state, the economy, the economy of California has been impacted by the, you know, billions and billions and trillions of dollars of lost income. And all we had to do, all we had to do from the beginning was introduce this free coronavirus hotline, test people at home. We don't need people to leave their house. They just stay home. We test them at home. We identify people who are really sick. We tell them which hospital to go to. Don't go to all the hospitals. Just go to the ones that can, that can handle you. Immediately, everything is organized. Everything is identified. And everything is, is managed at a much more cost-effective level. We can do this right now in the state of California tomorrow. With no additional resources, I can do it tomorrow, and in a week we'll have everything solved. Is that, that's what a compassionate, <laughs> driven company can do that bigger companies like, I don't know, Google or whatever, because these guys are driven by the bottom line. We're driven by purpose. Now, if I do that, will the company make a lot of money? Absolutely. Does it solve a problem in our economy, in our nation, literally overnight? Yes, it does. But that's why a purpose-driven business actually has even more impact than somebody else. If I don't get a contract, it doesn't matter to me. Because our purpose is to save the state of California, to save, save lives tomorrow. That's what we want to do. That's the word wow. that we're trying to get out. We've had this damn message in front of the governor for two months, and we can't get them to see how simple the damn solution is. And it drives us crazy. What's, what's the pushback you're getting? Because, I mean, I, I, number one, I can hear the passion <laughs> in, 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 in uh, coming from you as you talk about this. I can feel the energy literally coming through yeah. the connection here. And I'll tell you, I'm inspired. I mean, I, I am. You know, this is, and I'm not just blowing smoke here. I, I hear what you're saying, and I'm kind of going, oh, God, possibility. How do I move this possibility into reality? 
And that's the leadership move. Well, the frustration is that we bump up business and politics together, right? Politics, when people have their hands out and they're all trying to, you know, obviously suckle at the teeth of the great, you know, state of California, a lot of people are making a lot of money now. There is just millions and millions and millions. And again, and even coming to me, everybody who wants to do a COVID-19 test, our company can do COVID-19 testing. We can do all that. But what's missing is that all I've come back to say to Alameda County, to, to Los Angeles County, to the governor's office of Dr. Mark Golly, to all those people, I said, if you guys can hold back for a second, everyone take a deep breath, right? And maybe it's because Maybe the issue is that when you're in the forest, I mean, all you can see is everything around you. You step back from the forest and you get a little bit of a uh, bigger picture issue. This, pro- this solution to this problem, and if I tell you, Blaine, you're going you're gonna to go, oh my God, you're right. How come somebody else hasn't thought of this? This is just crazy. You offer a free coronavirus hotline, right? If you look at the numbers of people that are going to call in, even in the state of California, just the sick ones, right? Just the sick people that'll call in. They're only going to call in if it's a free call, right? They're not going to, right now, people are calling in from their insurance, like you got Kaiser, you call in, whatever, but we're not, we're not going to have any kind of a uniform database. If we just say, state of California, step up, Governor Newsom, be a leader, step up, all you've got to do is say, we're going to offer a free coronavirus hotline with telemedicine support. It's very inexpensive. You answer these little questionnaires. If you are still thinking of COVID-19, you eventually talk to a doctor. That doctor then says, hey, look, I've talked to you. You're right. I think you probably need a COVID-19 test. You sound like you're, you're symptomatic. Now, these are all symptomatic patients. We only want to go to the source of COVID-19. Then once we've identified all the symptomatic people who are sick right now, we do two things. One, we say, tell me who you've been exposed to so we can test them as well. So we make sure we have all the peripherals. This is the best way to do contact tracing. There's no other better way to do contract tracing more effectively than identify it from where it's being affected at the source. But secondarily, this is the other thing. If you look at the statistics right now, they're saying that Latinos and minorities are disproportionately affected by COVID-19. Why? Well, because they can't afford to stay home like everybody else. They right. have to eat. They have to, they have to pay their rent. They have to feed their kids. So why are they gonna stay home? They're not going to stay home. And so we have to identify them, offer them an incentive and say, rather than paying $10,000 to everybody in, in the United States for just for the fun of it, or companies like, like even mine, here's your incentive to stay in business. Great. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're doing that. This could have all been solved if we'd taken it to the most affected and said, let's offer you guys 2000 bucks to stay home. You, you only make 40000 a year, 30000 a year, or 50000 a year, or whatever. I know you can't afford to stay home for two weeks, so you might lose your job. The state of California will give you an incentive to stay home. The combination of a telemedicine hotline with telemedicine support, which is the cheapest way you could possibly go to bring universal care to the state of California, plus these incentives, right, might add up to a total, to a total, maybe, the entire state of California, $50 million to implement that program, and you've got the whole thing solved. Wow. It is on, I mean, when I tell people like you Blaine, and again, it's unfortunate that I haven't been able to look at Tom Steyer right in the face and say this, I'm trying to get him on the phone. I can't. And, or governor Newsom and say, I don't know what you guys are doing, but this is the plan. It can be put in tomorrow. 
brush everything else away, this will work. And for almost no money and immediately we can impact the state of California and change things. But getting back to your question about the purpose and soul of business, when you have mm -hmm. people on my staff who believe that what we're trying to do, not only the people that work for me, even lobbyists that I hire, they believe in us. They believe this message is almost messianic that we're trying to deliver. And so you get, you know, you get cooperation, you get people working nights and mornings and evenings when, you know, if they're on a straight regular contract, yeah, I got to wake up and do this thing for this guy and whatever. But if you believe that what you're doing is going to keep the next door neighbor from getting COVID-19 or stop that company from shutting down or your entire state that you've lived in your whole life from going bankrupt because we don't know what the hell we're doing, this becomes something that's important to you. And this is something that drives you to get to work every day and be part of an enterprise you feel, you know, you feel um, uh, really, really makes a difference. Well, you know, business uh, is the most pervasive force on the planet. There's nothing that escapes the, you know, the consequences of businesses' activities. And when we're facing something that we've never faced before in living memory, I mean, this isn't the first pandemic that has been across the uh, transom of the human species, but it's certainly the only one that we've had direct encounter with in our lifetimes. A different way of doing business is required. Business as usual won't get us where we want to go. And what you're talking about here is an out-of-the-box approach. And when we start looking at out-of-the-box approaches, the paradigms that are in operation will push back incredibly hard. And I'm, I'm thinking here of entrenched, uh, and this is what you're talking about, you know, entrenched interests. I can, you know, I can see you know, big, you know, big medicine pushing back on this. I can see insurance groups pushing back on this. Yes. Certainly politicians yes. who are risk averse pushing back on this. And I'm not sure there's an answer to this question, Bijan, but I'm gonna ask it anyway here. From, if I look at leadership as being the activity of co-creating coordinated movement, this is what's required today more than ever is a co-creative approach that coordinates things in ways that they've never been coordinated before. What can be done here? And, and again, I'm not sure that there's an answer to this, but I'm, I know what you've, you know, you, you've been describing, what you've been trying. And, and this is more of a red, red herring question, I guess, than anything else. What haven't you tried that might have some efficacy? Well, so believe it or not, our whole goal, we're, we're, I, I believe in Governor Newsom. I think he's a, he's, a, he's a good guy. He's got good intentions, right? So the idea was, look, if we could get Governor Newsom to, to do this plan, he would be, I, I don't need the credit, he would get all the credit for going ahead and showing how we could save the state of California and in turn, basically being the role model for the rest of the nation. And we mm -hmm. wanted him to get the credit for that. And we've gone through several congresswomen, several congressmen to say, hey, let's pitch it to Gavin because we want the cooperation of the state here. Not realizing that the state is almost blind by, or blinded right now by maybe the fear of all this is going on. We've got no national leadership on this particular issue. And as yeah. a result, People are going about like, you know, everyone's scrambling to kind of just cover the next fire and nobody's sitting back and saying, okay, look, we have to have, we have to have a, a, a bigger plan. We just can't keep on putting out every fire that pops up. Let's stop the fires from popping up in the first place. Whoever this arsonist is that's going around, let's hit him. What we're doing is we're letting the arsonist run around, start all these fires. And we're just saying, okay, wherever he goes, we'll just put him out. We'll put him out. We'll put him out. We'll put him out. 
but not getting to the idea of trying to stop the arsonist. In my mind, yeah. the arsonist, although, I, I, again, this is a terrible, terrible, terrible analogy, I, and forgive anybody who's got this, but that arsonist is basically the unfortunate soul that happened to have got COVID-19. And if he's yeah. got COVID-19, he doesn't realize that he's hot and he's spreading it. Or if he does, you know, is there an incentive for him not to? And the state of California has to realize, like, there's an easy way. There's a compassionate way of identifying these people and helping these people rather than ostracizing them or ignoring them, which is what we're doing right now. The problem right. is not going to go away. And the reason why we have this problem in California, the, again, all, all this stuff comes from real fundamental analysis. When we looked at the reason there's an issue in the state of California, the reason I opened up Sammy Aid in the first place is because we do not have national health care. Other countries that have dealt with this particular issue much, much more effectively than the United States have done so because they have national health care. So what happens is, is when somebody gets sick, they immediately go down to the local clinic or wherever it is, and they say, I think I'm sick. It might be COVID-19. They register them. They say, okay, you got COVID-19. Who else got exposed around you? Let's go test them, bring them in. And they come in and they get tested. And, and it's, it's solved because there is a, uh, a uniform place for them to go ahead and report and a, uh, a uniform database on, on the, the, who's, been, um, who's sick and who's not sick. We do not have that in the United States. And because we do not have that in the United States, we have a fundamental, fundamental exposure to this type of threat. And, you know, what's fun, what's amazing is that the, um, the leadership doesn't look at this significantly soft underbelly that we have, but also the fact that we don't have it, because a lot of people go, oh, my gosh, statewide health care. Oh, gosh, national health care. That's going to cost a gazillion dollars. It does not have to cost a gazillion dollars. As a matter of fact, again, exactly. this is one of the, well, and this is one of the beauties about presenting this. It's like, look, we could do, we can handle COVID-19. My company, my small little Sammy services company can handle all of COVID-19 for the state of California in three or four days. But guess what? Also, that can become the backbone for compassionate statewide healthcare that's really affordable. That costs like nothing. Because all we're talking about it's primary care triage. That's all we're talking about. Most, most mm -hmm. health care can be handled through primary care triage. You don't yep. need to go to the doctor or the hospital. But as long as somebody's talking to you, telling you what to do, how to handle something, how to handle this emergency image or whatever it is, right? 90% of health care can be handled that way. And we're not doing it. But we have yeah. it at our fingertips. We're the most advanced country in the world. And we're so, we can't see our hand in front of our face, which is, it's sad, and it's you know it keeps me up at night every night. I mean, for the last two months, you can imagine if you've got the solution for something, and you can't get people to listen, you know how until you get a chance to talk to Blaine Bartlett, you know you don't really have an audience that appreciates what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to get you on a couple of other shows here, um, you know, you know, if you're open to it, because uh, I've got a couple of ideas of circulating. Um, and, it, you know, and it really does strike me here that, you know, the primary you know, way that we've been dealing with uh, this whole thing, going back to January, has been from a position of reactivity, uh, yep. stimulus response, stimulus response, rather than being able to stand, you know, and this is where, you know, we really uh, are vulnerable here. We don't have a national approach to this where it allows us to be you know, where critical thinking comes into play and we can be elegantly responsive rather than off-balance reactive. 
And it's that yeah. off-balance reactivity that is uh, digging a deeper hole. You know, <laughs> take the shovel out of our hands. Stop digging the hole is what I'm hearing in one, one sense that you're saying. Well, so, you know what I love? Um, I love that phrase, elegantly responsive. That, that, that defines it, when, so it, that defines it, Blaine, so well because it doesn't have to be a super complex, comp like when I've listened to the solutions being proposed by like, you know, Google and Facebook and these guys where they want to intervene into our lives and, you know, have people who have connectivity. If you've identified yourself as COVID-19, you almost get like the yellow star put on your shoulder. Like, oh, we've yeah. identified who you are and you're going to be ostracized. None of that. None of that to me is, 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 is something that I want in my life. All I want, which is like we were talking again, if you talk to anybody, I want a simple solution. Even me and you, Blaine, we both have health insurance and probably pretty good health insurance. Mm -hmm. But really at the end of the day, if I walk into the hospital, I don't know what it's going to cost me. And a lot of times I don't even know where my doctor is or if I need to make an appointment for something, how long it's going to take before I get an appointment. I've always wanted it to be, look, if I want to talk to a doctor, it's coming out of my money. It's coming out of my pocketbook. I want to be able to have access when I want it. And it just has to be a simpler, easier solution. And you're right about insurance companies and big medicine and all these things. These guys are all the way into our lives as deeply as they can possibly get. And when you present a simple, straightforward, and believe it, obviously, this is something that used to exist pre-19, you know, pre-World War II. In the United States, you know, when you went to see a doctor, you just paid a doctor whatever you need to pay him. And it was just a cash for services, you know, thing. After World yeah. War II, the entire rest of the world went to national health care, except for the United States. Yeah. And we were lucky enough that our economy was such in great shape that businesses would bear the burden of, provi of providing health insurance to individuals as opposed to the national government. Now it's come back to haunt us. Now we are paying the price and we're going to pay the price in probably one of the most dramatic ways because if it continues to go like we're doing, even in the state of California, I'm looking at counties, the amount of money these counties are paying for COVID-19 testing, all these random oh, testing that people have to do. It's absurd. It's, uh, it's, 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 and it's going to come, the way it's going to hit is that the only way for it to be paid for, and you probably know this as, as an economist as well too, next year, the year after, inflation is going to start going through the roof. And the yep. middle class and the poorer people are going to be just destroyed just destroyed and it's going to take two double hits a punch from COVID 19 and a second punch from inflation and it's going to lay this country flat and if we can come back and say you and i or a strong voice from 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 the media can say hey look we don't have to do that we have a solution it's very simple it's very straightforward let's make a little bit of a u-turn let somebody focus in on this and We'll save lives. We'll save the economy. We'll save, you know, we'll save a lot of people. Yeah, it's yeah. I saw something in just from an economic perspective. Uh, one of the feeds I get, uh, some of the projections are we will not be getting back to square one economically until mid-decade, uh, at oh, yeah. the earliest. Yeah, at the earliest, oh, yeah. and that's a direct consequence of this mismanaged approach to how we're you know, not only dealing generically with healthcare, but specifically with the COVID. Um, uh, pandemic and its consequences. Um, 
Bijan, we're going to have to wrap this up, and I want to continue the conversation <laughs> in a different sure, forum. No uh, so uh, as soon as I close off the show here, uh, I'd like you to stay on the line for just a minute uh, so we can have a of bit course. of a conversation, okay? My guest today yeah, has been, sure, um, yeah, uh, Bijan uh, Farangame. And uh, where can we find out more information about Sammy Aid and anything else that you'd like the, uh, the listeners to access here? Well, we've been obviously doing a lot of PR, so you can find, you know, um, our services and what we're doing um, on a lot of parts of the internet. But our website is www.samiaid.com. That's S-A-M-I-A-I-D.com. And um, again, it, it provides direct access to doctors and nurses all throughout the United States, wherever you are, COVID-19 testing if you need it. Um, so anything you need, mental health support, I mean, just about anything someone would need to kind of get through the struggles that we're in right now. And you know, hopefully at a, at a more, you know, senior level, you know, a, a solution to the whole COVID-19 process uh, problem as well, too. Perfect. And, and even though we've been talking almost exclusively about California, SAMI aid is, is national. Yeah. So the we are. We're on all is... 50 states. Yep. Yeah. Nurses and doctors. Perfect. So nurses and doctors both in all 50 states. Okay. Again, my guest uh, on this episode has been uh, Bijan uh, Farangi, CEO of Sami Aid. And Bijan, thank you so much. I mean, this is, I mean, there's a lot of material here and I love your passion and I love what you're doing with this. And I hope to be able to help uh, facilitate a little bit uh, <laughs> further movement uh, uh, as, as we uh, start looking at what we can do here. Folks, thank you for listening. Thank you for taking the time. Oh, you betcha. You've been listening to The Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett. I am your guest host, Blaine Bartlett. And um, we'll talk to you next time we're around. Take care. Be safe and be healthy. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.